Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today is a special episode. We are celebrating the one year anniversary of the podcast launch. This all started out in a tiny room between a few attorneys and a producer racking their brains on how to tackle the immigration issues of the day to now having a listenership and guest list that has truly reached worldwide. I am humbled every time to have the brightest minds in immigration sit down with us. A special thank you to Dave Beer, Laura D. Francis, Ian Colgren, and Claudia Cubis for being the first five guests on our podcast. You were truly our guinea pigs and thank you for trusting in us. So over the next few weeks and months, we'll release a few episodes titled A Year in Immigration, highlighting the special guests that have brought context and insight into the immigration issues during 2019. Enjoy. October 2nd, Dave Beer, using government benefits may threaten eligibility for green cards. What's the end game here? What's the compelling interest? Who is the government trying to protect by going to such lengths to redefine the public charge analysis? What they're trying to do is protect the taxpayer. You know, at least that's the stated purpose of the regulation is to protect taxpayers from having to support immigrants uh, who are coming to the United States and they, and they can't support themselves. And that would comport with the intent of the law. Um, I, I do think that the way that it is written, um, it is not at all clear that uh, that goal is going to be accomplished um, because of the fact that you are denying people who may be overwhelmingly supporting themselves, um, you know, that uh, government benefits make up a very low percentage of their income. And so if you're denying people based on this projection that maybe they're going to use 5 or 10% of their income coming from the government, then you're really denying a lot of people who are going to be economic contributors to the country. And so I do think that uh, the stated goal here is, is not likely to um, come to fruition and that this is uh, in effect, a an effort just to reduce legal immigration, regardless of whether the person is, is really someone who's abusing our welfare state. October 25th, Laura D. Francis, conversations with the director of USCIS, next year predictions, and the future of H-1B lottery. So it's interesting, right? There seems to be an inherent contradiction in there. On the one hand, um, the purpose of buy American, hire American is to protect U.S. workers and U.S. jobs. But on the other hand, the impact on the ground that it's having on U.S. companies is they're not able to hire and then subsequently retain the talent that they need. In an effort to continue to employ that talent, as you just mentioned, they're even considering either shipping those jobs overseas or maybe relocating those employees to other companies. So what's this disconnect coming from? I mean, is it like a data issue? Uh, Is it just something that's specific to the tech company? You know, I, I think a lot of it actually has to do with the limits on what the executive branch can do in this space. Kind of was the same under the Obama administration as well, that you have two administrations that want to do things in immigration. But at the end of the day, you have to follow the Immigration and Nationality Act. And I don't know uh, 
single person I've ever talked to who doesn't think that that law needs to, you know, some serious work. Um, you know, now there are differences of opinion as to what needs to be changed and how. But everyone kind of agrees, like, what we have now is not working. So President Trump can issue an executive order, um, you know, for instance, in the Buy American, Hire American order, he had a line in there about how the immigration agencies need to look at ways that they can overhaul the H-1B program so it's only the most skilled and highest paid workers who get those visas. You know, the problem with that is that that's not really how the law is written. So you have a lot of employers that, for instance, will hire H-1B workers at entry-level wages. Um, you know, and, and I mean, in tech, I mean, you're still talking about good amount of money. Sure. But entry level is not going to be the highest paid. I mean, some senior level person is, is going to be making the bigger bucks. That's legal under the INA. Like, it's contemplated by the INA that you can hire someone at an entry level job for an H-1B. So I think both administrations are kind of trying to find ways to shape the immigration law within the confines of the law, you know, and, and the confines of what they can do as the executive branch. That's, you know, probably the biggest issue for the administration in terms of really getting at what they want, which is to make sure that these visa programs aren't being used to displace U.S. workers. November 15th, Tom Jowitz, midterm elections, migration caravan, and birthright citizenship. Neither family separation nor family attention have actually uh, had a, a deterrent effect on people coming to the country, um, and so and that you know that makes sense, frankly. I mean, again, you know, one of the one of the lines that came out, one of the things that, that we that we learned. I remember when I was on the on, on judiciary committee, we had uh, a Catholic bishop was testifying about a mission that he did um, down in uh, the Northern Triangle countries of Central America, and he was reflecting upon something that someone said to him at one of the reception centers where people were being deported to, I think it was Guatemala, from Mexico. And he talked to a mother and said, you know, you know all the dangers that your child's going to go through during this journey. Why would you send your child on this journey if you know the, the grave risk of, you know, being being tortured, being raped, being maimed, being killed? Um, and the mother said, better that my child die on the journey than die on my doorstep at home. So when that's the choice that parents are making, sending their children, or the parents are making when they decide to go with their children, it's no surprise that that you know some something that this administration or, or the past administration, frankly, did to try to deter people from coming won't be that effective. January 10th, Ian Colgren, the Great Wall of Economics. The, this is his first primetime address as president, first address from the White House. My fellow Americans, Tonight, I am speaking to you because there is a growing humanitarian and security crisis at our southern border. Every day, Customs and Border Patrol agents encounter thousands of illegal immigrants trying to enter our country. We are out of space to hold them, and we have no way to promptly return them. Back Both home sides to their have country. really been kind of dragging their feet on solving this shutdown, shutdown. issue. And did that a couple so, of episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be really interesting to see whether this really changes the calculus at all. 
and how both sides play it. I guess Schumer and Pelosi, too, are giving giving some sort of rebuttal. We can secure our border without an ineffective, expensive wall. And we can welcome legal immigrants and refugees without compromising safety and security. The symbol of America should be the Statue of Liberty, not a 30-foot wall. So our suggestion is a simple one. Mr. President, reopen the government and we can work to resolve our differences over border security, but end this shutdown. At this point, now. it looks like it could do more to, to dig in than really advance the conversation of how to solve this thing. Right. So the economic situation. Do you predict or project that this trend will continue? We're at record lows for unemployment and we're hiring each month. Is that going to sort of continue moving forward? Well, it it can't forever, obviously. Most economists kind of agree that we're sort of nearing the end of the expansion cycle in the U.S. And that, interesting. that has raised a lot of fears about when the next recession is going to come and what that's going to look like. Um, that that said, I mean, most mainstream economists, like I said a few months ago, would have predicted that it would have ended by now. So mm. we're sort of in the realm of like everyone agrees that we're sort of nearing the end of expansion. But it's like, when have we hit the top of this thing? Right. That's really the question that nobody knows mm. at this point. January 17th, Claudia Cubis, a voice for the voiceless, driving asylum law and government shutdowns effect on detention centers. To be put in immigration court proceedings, mm. only certain officers can do that. Only certain agencies of the government can do that. Mm. Our laws, the statute, the Immigration Nationality Act, says the immigration, the immigration officers, so ICE mm. or USCIS, which is under the Department of Homeland Security, can issue, can write notices to appear to begin the immigration court process. So even though immigration court is civil, it follows kind of like a criminal type mm. of situation. In criminal mm. proceedings, you have charges filed with the court, and that begins your criminal matter. Sure. Well, in immigration court, you have this document called the notice to appear, which has charges or facts that are alleged by the Department of Homeland Security and a reason why they believe under the law this person is removable and they're filed with the court and that begins the proceedings. But our laws say that what a notice to appear is is that it must provide a reason why the person is removable, must provide facts that support that reason, but it also has to provide the date, place, of where they're going to have this immigration court that proceeding. That should be the basic. And know, if you think about it, be. that should be basic because if, if, if I was, even just on the criminal context. When do context, I show up and where? Right, where if I'm being right. told, okay, if I'm immigrant A and mm. I've, I've just come, I was just arrested for no driving without a license mm. and my local police officer turns me over because there's a detainer on, in my case, turns me over to ICE. ICE comes, literally meets with me they interview me, and then they write this document. I'm going to be detained. 
but there's due process, right? And due Correct. process means that I have to know what's going on and I have to be able to have a place where I can argue my case. Sure. And I can't do that if I don't really know where is it that I'm going to argue my case or is there going to be a case? Thank you and see you next week.